You're listening to The RN Mentor, a podcast designed to document and bring you the work and experience of some of the most influential nurses in our profession. We will be sitting down and having a discussion with the leaders of today's nursing world as they share their work, how they navigate their nursing path, and their views on the future of the profession. My name is Ali Tayeb. I am a registered nurse, United States Navy veteran, a Jonas Veterans Healthcare Scholar, and your host for The RN Mentor. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the RN Mentor Podcast. I have a very special guest with us today, uh, Dr. Katie Waxman. Uh, Dr. Waxman is a national nurse leader and executive with extensive experience in healthcare and corporate settings. Uh, She is an associate professor at the University of San Francisco and is the director of the Executive Leadership uh, Doctor of Nursing Practice Program. She is also the director of the California Simulation Alliance and Health Impact. In addition, she is the editor-in-chief for Nursing Administration Quarterly, an internationally known speaker and author, Uh, Dr. Waxman is also a past president of the Association of California Nurse Leaders and past board member, serving as treasurer for the American Organization of Nursing Leadership. Uh, She is currently the immediate past president of the Society for Simulation in Healthcare. Dr. Waxman's work has been published extensively and can be found in the Journal for Simulation and Healthcare Clinical Simulation for Nursing, Journal of Nursing Education, NAQ, uh, Nursing Leader, and Creative Nursing Journals. Uh, She has authored three books on finance and budgeting. She co-authored a simulation book, Healthcare Simulation Program Builder, and has authored several chapters in simulation and leadership textbooks. Dr. Waxman received her DMP from the University of San Francisco, with an emphasis on healthcare system leadership and a concentration in clinical simulation. She holds certifications as clinical nurse leader, executive nursing practice, simulation health educator, and is a fellow of the American Academy of Nursing, the American Organization of Nursing Leadership, and the Society for Simulation in Healthcare. And her full bio is on my website for everyone to see. Welcome to the show, Dr. Waxman. Thank you so much for having me. I feel so inadequate when I read that. So I I don't know. And you have a family and you also take vacations once in a blue. Uh So how are you? I'm good. I'm busier than I have been in a long time with the pandemic. Yes, I can imagine. I can imagine. I think we're all, we're all sort of in that same boat and I, uh, it, it just it just doesn't it doesn't make sense. I feel I feel like I'm doing more but less productive for some reason. Uh, yeah, I hear you, and and I have Zoom fatigue and Zoom oh, drain yeah. and need to walk more. You know that kind of yes. stuff. Self care yes, is I, so important. It is. It is absolutely. Uh, so um, before we get started, I have we have known each other. I, I I really got to know you from a simulation perspective years ago. Uh, when I was working with simulation program, and that's where I don't know if you remember. Yeah, Valley uh, Press or Valley Press Yeah, we had just built uh, the sim lab over there, and I was the 
uh, education manager for the sim lab and uh, kind of help build that program up. Um, so, um, but, you know, I, I, let's start with how you got started um, in the world of nursing and uh, eventually ended up with everything that I just read about, right? How did, that too, right? Yes, yes, yes. How did you start in nursing? What was, what, what drove you into that, into that world? Well, I started as a CNA when I was like 16 or 17 and I worked in a nursing home. So I've always had um, a fondness and a passion for uh, gerontology. And so, you know, I was kind of thrown into the nursing home uh, world. Um, And then when I graduated from high school, it was a natural progression to apply to nursing school. And um, it was funny because I started I'm an ADN grad who has a doctorate degree. So I really believe in lifelong learning. And I believe the ADN is a, is a launching pad for higher uh, learning. And that was my plan altogether. All but I applied to nursing school and I was the seventh alternate. And in the community colleges back then, you were, you know, you're either in or you're on a list. And so I remember that I was notified of that and then um, started classes. And then on Thursday, I got a call saying, you made the, you made the cut. You, you got to start tomorrow. And oh. that's how it all started. I, I would have tried again, but that's how I started. And at that point, we were taking microbiology and um, um, AMP at the same time we were in nursing school, which they don't even let you do that anymore, but I did it. And that was... Um, I knew I could do it because I had, I was one of the few people that had to do all my prereqs at the same time. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so from there, um, once I graduated um, with my RN, which was an IP at that time, an interim permittee, um, this was in the Bay area. And I decided I wanted to get the heck out of Dodge. And I um, drove to LA and applied at UCLA medical center and got a job as an interim permittee started there for a couple of months and ran home for at lunch every day to see if my board results came. And at that point, you know, if you had a big fat envelope, that was a good thing. And so, you know, you sweating it every day, but I passed on the first time and um, got a significant raise. I mean, I was probably making 20 bucks an hour. <laughs> you know, back <laughs> big, then. big bucks. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and then I immediately enrolled in classes at um, UCLA because I wanted to go get, go get my bachelor's degree I ended up getting my bachelor's degree um, in healthcare administration because I really wanted to move into that and um, my master's in business. And people say, why did you get an MBA and not an MSN? And at that time in the, gosh, when was this? The eighties, I guess. Um, in the early nineties, it was, we were very budget focused, numbers focused, managed care had just hit. And I thought, you know, to differentiate myself in the market um, and I want to be an administrator I will get an MBA. And so I got my MBA from University of Laverne, which is in down Southern California. Mm-hmm. And um, and then my dream was always to complete my doctorate degree, but did not want to get a PhD, like some people I know in this room, um, <laughs> because I'm just not a research heads down person. I really wanted the practice component I looked at, at organizational leadership and that kind of thing. And it wasn't until the DMP came about that I said, this is the degree for me. And so I got my doctorate degree in 2008 from um, University of San Francisco. We were the wow. first DMP program in the, in the state. Yeah, I was going to say uh, USF has, has been sort of the lead on this, uh, on the DMP program for California. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Now, um, that, that's fantastic because we have so many, uh, you mentioned the ADN program and I, I, you know, years ago, um, uh, I was very much on the, on the bandwagon of entry level, entry level, entry level needs to be BSN, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm not on that, on that bandwagon anymore. I think there, there should definitely be transitions to BSN because I don't think your ADN, the ADN should be a terminal degree. Uh, but, um, the ADN is definitely a, a way for a lot of individuals to come into the nursing world. And I think it has, it definitely has a very important part in uh in uh, in nursing so um mm-hmm. so i know there, there's people out there that will disagree with me and that's 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 fine i'm just i'm not um i have moved on from 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 that point of view and i think it's important and you're you know a prime example and i have and i have students right now that are in the adn to bsn program uh, and they're incredible individuals uh so smart uh you know uh getting their work done managing a family um, so, um, so kudos, kudos to, to all the ADN program graduates Agreed. that have moved on and are, 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 are thriving in the nursing profession. Um, I had the opportunity to, to be a plenary speaker at the, um, American organization for ADN programs, ODIN mm-hmm. organization. I think I have the acronym wrong, but it was amazing. I mean, they do such great work and they're such great nurses, right? I and most of them will go on for the BSN. Most of them will. But if they don't, they're still nurses. Right. 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 And so, you know, I'm a product of that. And, you know, it's it's not for everybody to get their doctorate, but I'm just one of those who started as an ADN and went up. So I like to talk to ADN graduates or ADN students because um, you know, there's there's the, the test is the same. And yeah, I know it's, a, it's, a, it's the same. It's right? the same NCLEX. Yes. Nobody understands, you know, entry level masters is the same right. test as BSN and ADN. So, you know, a lot of people are, are pushing for BSN and, you know, 2020, 2030 in California. Will that happen in my lifetime? I do not think so. Right. Uh, we have what? 75 ADM programs in California. There's, there's quite a few. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I agree. And until things change, where it's easy access to university, um, they're not mm-hmm. going to go away. So these yeah. step um, bridge programs are wonderful, and we need more of them. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, like I said, it's 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 uh, it's such a significant impact uh, on the lives of the people that are going into the ADN program and they graduate and are able to get jobs as nurses. As that just that step up and that opportunity, yeah. um, I can't imagine not having them not having them around. Uh, right. like, I, like you mentioned, it's accessibility and time. Uh, all that stuff needs to be considered. So I completely agree with you. Um, now let's talk about, like you did go through this pathway. Uh, how did you, um, how did you decide that you're going to move on to your different uh, degrees? Right. Uh, was that, was that just uh, uh, so your own drive? Were, were there people in your, in your life that, sort of uh, um, cultured you or, or um, help you grow into that? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I I know you're going to talk about mentors and I am a mentor, but back then I needed a mentor. I still do. But the, my mentor is the one who pushed me into it. Okay. So I was a nurse manager with an ADN degree and my mentor said, she was the VP for patient care services. She said, I'm hiring you into this slot, but you have to have your bachelor's within X amount of years. Okay. So I had to, 
Right. And then, so, I mean, I always wanted to, but the the hospital actually paid for most of it too. And that was another incentive. Um, but it, back then it was like, you know, bachelor's, um, uh, RN required, bachelor's preferred. Then once everybody had their bachelor's, BSN, then it was BSN required, master's preferred. And now right. I'm seeing, you know, master's required, doctorate preferred. It's right. very interesting. So yes, yeah. I had a mentor. Yeah, I, I, and I've and I've seen that, and I, I know there are some institutions uh, that have, at least at the at the nurse executive level uh, have moved on to doctorally prepared nurses right. and are kind of moving that direction. Um, so uh, so yeah, definitely. But I think there there needs to be uh, for even the institutions that are saying bachelor's bachelor's required. I think there should be um, there sh- they should build build in pathways for people to for their ADNs to be hired and move on to get their bachelor's. That should mm-hmm. be like a, perhaps a requirement that, you know, we'll pay for it, but you, the expectation is that you put in the time and effort right. uh, and to do that. So I think, and that's one of the things I see with a lot of ADN of our ADN students is they're having a hard time getting that first initial job because so many hospitals are looking at magnet or looking at the bachelor's uh, being entry. And it's, uh, and I that's see okay. ADN, uh, and, I mean, and, magnet yeah. magnet can hire ADNs as long as right. they have a mechanism to help them grow. That's the right? that's that's the that's key it. is that you can hire them and help them grow, and it, it only looks good for you to have that professional pathway from a magnet perspective. I imagine exactly. Yes, um, and and we're you know we're facing a major shortage. Yes, uh, we shouldn't be turning away anybody at this point. I mean, if you're when I was let's see what what year was that? Gosh. When I was a manager in the late 80s and I was a director of ICU at the time, um, we pretty much hired anybody who was breathing and had a pulse, okay, with an <laughs> RN degree. You know, it's like we were so desperate. Right. And, you know, travelers and registry and all of that. And we're going to get to that point again because we have um, high turnover in nursing in the first two years, you know, if they're not treated nice. Right. by their preceptors and their colleagues, which there's so much bullying going on, they choose to leave the profession. It's so sad. Right. Um, and then the projections are showing that we're, we're going to be down, you know, hundreds of thousands of nurses in the next 10 years. So, right. and, 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 you know, if social media is any indication of people leaving the profession or leaving bedside mm-hmm. as a result of the pandemic, uh, then we're probably, we're not probably, we are going to be shorter than we are just with regular attrition. Uh, right. I've, and I've, the care will be in places outside of the acute care hospital. Right. And that's the other thing we're training. For the most part, we prepare our nurses to practice in acute care hospital, right? It is. It is. Uh, and, and actually, um, um, that that's one of the things, that's one of the programs I'm glad I saw Cal State LA and several other universities bring on is the ambulatory care setting sort of addition, mm-hmm. um, uh, which uh, we've been doing for a couple of years now, but we definitely need more of that. Um uh, that we're preparing our nurses for more than just um, bedside. Uh, so very important. Yep. Um, so, uh, so career wise, uh, you, so you were at UCLA uh, and mm-hmm. you went into, into a sort of administration and uh, you did get, you did went the MBA route, which actually a lot of people that I know uh, that 
want to do administration. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're always, they always tell me, what should I get my master's in? I want to get an MBA. <laughs> I mean, you can't you go, go wrong. Do, <laughs> you can't go wrong. Right? Yeah. Uh, and actually, a lot of a lot of organizations I know uh, actually hire MBAs, in, especially in ambulatory care settings, right? Mm-hmm. They hire MBAs in the management roles. I mean, what's I'm like, why don't you be a nurse that has an MBA? So... Uh, it's definitely something for people to to look at. Um, so that was your your. I want to say you're a little bit of a visionary for me, uh, just because I've just from the fact that you're you're also a, sort of an early adopter of simulation, and that that's been a big part of your your career. Uh, mm-hmm. Talk about let's talk about your simulation life. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you get started in simulation? Like, what was the what what, what was that drive? Because Yeah, I like to say I was in the right place at the right time, okay? (laughs) I mean, we've been doing simulation forever, right? It started with an orange and injecting into an orange, your your colleague's arm starting an IV. This is all, these are all types of of simulation, uh, the head, the arm, the task trainers. And in 2004, I think it was, I, um, Dolores Jones, who was another one of my mentors, um, she was the founder of the California Institute for Nursing and Healthcare. And she called me one day and she said, Katie, would you um, facilitate a meeting for me? I'll pay you $50 an hour because um, we're growing. And, and I was in transition at the time. I was consulting and I said, sure, Dolores, I'll do it for $50 an hour. Great. And I facilitated this meeting. And at that meeting, we were, it was announced that the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation had earmarked $100 million to nursing education in the Bay Area, the five counties that touched the Bay. And she said, Katie, I want you to write a grant for, for that. So I um, was the person who wrote that initial grant for the Centralized Clinical Placement System, CCPS, which is all over California. And um, and then from there, since we had a track record for um, managing that grant with the Foundation for California Community Colleges, FCCC, our partner in that, um, they uh, I wrote another grant because simulation was starting to, to blossom. And so I wrote a grant for about a million dollars to create the Bay Area Simulation Collaborative, which is also known as the BASC. It's still in existence today. We were funded um, with three goals. We had to do um, training, like preparing and educating faculty and educators from those five counties. We had to create scenarios, and then we had to do some research. So I managed that grant for three years, um, and then launched the California Simulation Alliance off of that. And the BASC was a demonstration model for other areas within the state. I had the great fortune of um, going to Southern California in the late 2000s, and we were funded by Kaiser Permanente Community Benefits out of Pasadena to replicate the model of the BASC in Southern California. So we have two solid models and then we currently now have seven regional collaborative collaboratives all over the state. Oh wow, that that's amazing! And I was one of the beneficiaries of the yeah. Southern California. Yes. That's how you and I, uh, you and I met uh, many many uh, years ago. Yeah. Uh, um, it doesn't feel like it's been that long, but it's been about probably around ten years. It must be 10, about eleven years. About ten eleven years, absolutely. Like with yeah. with Carolyn Olowski, we used to travel around together. Yeah. 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 And so I, as you said, I was an early adopter. I was an early adopter and I really um, 
utilized Roger's theory of innovation and looked uh-huh. at the people that were in the audience because everything we did was free because it was grant funded. So come to a class, it's free. And so we had hundreds of people in the audience. Some of them were um, were not believers. And I'm like, how can I convince them that simulation is the right thing to do? Because I was a believer from the very beginning. And then I you know, read his book and I was like, I don't need to even bother with these people. They are not believers. I'm focusing on those people who raise their hand and are in the front row right now. And those were the first faculty that we had trained to do train the trainer and write all those scenarios. And the funny story is that I had one um, faculty member who was probably pre-retirement. And um, she just sat there with her arms folded and she said, you know, they made me use PowerPoint and I hated that. Now they're going to force me to use simulation. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, okay, you're not, you're, you're a laggard. I'm going to leave you alone and not bother with you. I'm going to focus on these others. And then we used to do a conference called Magic and Teaching. I think you probably attended uh, some I, of those in LA. I have, I have, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden this woman comes up to me. She's, do you remember me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, I do. And she said, well, I'm a believer now. I was going to retire, but I discovered simulation. I'm staying on. And I was Very like, cool. okay, I made an, I made a difference in an indirect way, right? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, um, yeah actually, I've, I've, I want to say I've done like two or three of those magic and teaching conferences. Uh, so yeah, uh, love, love doing it. Uh, love simulation. Uh, I had to actually, I want to talk a little bit of simulation with you. I had a chance to, you know, um, at the last facility I worked at, um, uh, when I became the director of education for that facility, um, we did uh, like. Um, simulation-based competencies. So they were doing paper, pencil stuff, uh, competencies. And then we moved them. I moved them to the, really the extreme of simulation-based competencies where we had, there was, they happened to have a, a, an MT unit. We converted that MT unit into sim, um, sims galore. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we had them go through groups, small groups, uh, and do simulations and did all the prep work and debriefings and stuff like that. Um, which actually, uh, I saw some outcomes from that. Uh, but a lot of the research at the time I was looking at really has, has to do with like, it talked about like nurses being comfortable with things and not, uh, you know, like having simulation directly uh, impact the outcomes of patients, right? Mm-hmm. Um yeah, what what's going on with that arena? I've, I'm a little, I've been a little bit out of the sim world. So, is there? Do you think there's opportunities for us to do that kind of uh, connection? Well, I think a lot's happened in the last ten years, and I think that what we what we know is that students like simulation. Right. Okay. So don't don't produce a study that shows me that they liked it. Okay, because it's right. been done. It hasn't made a difference, you know, it hasn't made a difference. And what we've learned is that we can guarantee a clinical experience in simulation. We cannot guarantee it in the hospital setting, especially when they're doing observation only. And the board of registered nursing says that 75% of all hours need to be in direct patient care. Now it's different now because of COVID we have a waiver to do up to 75% simulation in certain areas. Right. Uh, with certain criteria, like if you can't get a clinical placement. And we're hoping that um, 
that will continue with those guidelines going forward. Um, but there has been there's been a lot there have been a lot of studies on you know competency and performance. Absolutely, they're using you know OSCEs now with simulation for FMPs training, and we've learned a lot um, along the way. What we've learned also is that there's not a lot of evidence that the clinical experience makes a difference. Mm. And so, you know, you check off the box that your students went to clinical, the clinical instructor is on two or three floors running around. It depends on the preceptor. There are very, a lot of variables that go into that. And at the end of the day, after eight hours, um, you know, what boxes can you check? But did you talk to a patient? Did you touch a patient? Were you responsible? Could you give meds? You know, all those things, but we can do that in SIM. And they right. can't hide. The students cannot hide in sim. <laughs> That's and true. So there's a lot of controversy out there, out there right now regarding the number of hours. And I'm the board. They don't. I'm not one of their biggest um, fans. Um, they the the CNA component of the BRN doesn't really uh, support sim or what I have to say. So I'm just going to disclose that. Right. Um, but there's a controversy regarding hours. So one hour of, of clinical equals one hour of SIM currently in the regulations from the board. But there's evidence to show that one hour of SIM can actually equal two hours of clinical or even three, depending on the situation. And there have been studies done out there that have reflected the learning occurs in SIM more than in clinical. So some schools have actually waited till their final semester to put them in clinical, doing SIM, 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 and then clinical. We do it differently here, and we're struggling, right? Well, we can't get my clinical placement. What am I going to do? I also learned that, um, you know, the minimum requirement of hours in um, California is around 600, but some hosp- some schools are doing 1,000 hours, 1,200 hours. So when you look at percentages of SIM to hours, it's different if it's 600 versus 1,000, right. right? And then we're like, why are you doing 1,000? Why are you only doing 600? Right. So these all these things are bubbling up during this pandemic, you know, and questions are being asked. We don't have any answers yet, but I think this is the time for us to document everything that we're doing. And then once this is over with, say, no, we're not going to go back to the old way. Right. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to be outcome based, right? And competency based rather than checking the boxes to say that you went to OB and you never saw delivery, right? But you went to OB. Right. So, and that's that's been, that's been one of my biggest biggest I think struggles whenever uh, we've ran into the issue of how much sim we can do with sim we can guarantee uh, the experience of them interacting mm-hmm. uh, for a specific situation. I can tell you some of the experience I had, and I'm sure you the same way that we went to a unit we spent all day, but I didn't learn I didn't do anything new like right. or I didn't like I had. If I was on a respiratory unit, that's all I did was respiratory. I didn't do anything beyond that. Well, other students in the same clinical were on a different specialty unit and didn't get any respiratory like I did, but got a whole bunch of another thing. Uh, So I I definitely agree that uh, there needs to be a better um, coordination. So we are, we we have, it's more holistic, right? Uh, As opposed to, um, we've always done it this way and Mm -hmm. this is the way we're always going to do it, right? So, um, so yeah, and, and the same thing with, you know, nurse practitioners or graduate students. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're running into the same issue of, you know, even when you look at a uh, scope of practice, you know, 
you can do it now, but not later after the pandemic type of stuff. And, right. you know, and that just, that stuff just drives me a little bit, yeah. a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, uh, I can talk sim all day. Uh, so uh, how about your, um, so you, you, uh, you are involved in a lot of other organizations mm-hmm. uh, besides your daytime job. I kind of like to say, right. right. Um, how, what was your motivation around getting involved with those organizations and uh, what made you decide? Cause you've actually had like multiple leadership positions. Yeah. Uh, what made you decide uh, you want to be, uh, you want to lead those organizations and where, yeah, that's a good question. So I've always had these um, leadership skills for many years. You know, in high school, I was a president of my class and always led lots of different efforts. And so um, when I became a VP for patient care services, and I was 31, by the way, 31. Okay. And that's, I'm looking back thinking, I didn't know anything. And there I was, right? Um, and I was working for NME, which is National Medical Enterprises, which is now Tena Healthcare. So I learned like on the job, right? And didn't have any leadership classes. I actually was charged with creating a course on leadership. So I learned with the learners on leadership um, theory and whatnot. And and now I'm running the executive leadership DMP program, which makes complete sense after all of these experiences. Um, but I realized that the leadership skills that that you're born with and that you acquire are completely transferable. And so when I, I was the president of the Association for California Nurse Leaders back in the late 90s, I was a board member for the American Organization for Nursing Leadership as the treasurer, and then I became president for the Society for Simulation in Healthcare. And you know, what do I know from that? Well, I took all of my leadership experience and transferred what I knew into that arena because I was, I was the third nurse president in 20 years. It was a very physician driven organization. Now it's not, there's more nurses than there are physicians. And then we have another segment of the operations specialists. So the engineers and IT guys and the sim techs. And so, um, Working with an interprofessional group is, I think, another critical skill that we need to train our students in because once they get into practice, it's they're not in a silo. They're working with a team. So all those things prepared me for that president role because I was sitting in between two MDs as president bookends, and they had a whole <laughs> different mental model, Right. nor had either of them been in official leadership positions. And I had been, so, you know, it was sort of like political, you know, when I go in there with what I brought to the table, but I tried really hard. Um, and I think I'm, I, I'm was successful in being professional and, um, including everyone, which is another thing that you learn as a leader is that you, you need to be inclusive. You need to listen, you need to communicate effectively and treat everyone fairly. Yeah. So, a sound advice. Yeah, I, I'm taking notes as you're saying this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, um, for somebody who's looking to, because um, one of the things, like you know, when I talk to some of my some of the individuals that come to me for advice or what should I do or what, um, uh, how should I move forward? Um, uh, what would what would you say to those individuals looking to do uh, something outside of uh, like their um, uh, their day job, right? Some they want to get involved in the profession of nursing, right? Not just right. you know, 
they're seven to seven. Uh, how do they, you know, what would, what would you say would be a good way for somebody like that? Where yeah, that's start? a great question. Um, I think early on um, I started joining my professional organizations. So, uh, and attending all of those, you know, regional meetings to network with people. And it's very important to network and be visible and be out there and, and meet people that are doing different things than you and stay connected to them. Now, back in the day, there was no LinkedIn, but now there is. And I think LinkedIn is something everyone needs to go in and update their profile. If you've seen my LinkedIn page, I have, you know, 3,000 connections or whatever it is. And um, I work with people on LinkedIn. It's professional. This is, this, is, this is the forum that we can use, especially in these times. But once the pandemic is over with or we have a vaccine, um, get out there and network. And join your professional organizations, even, you know, go to the Rotary and say, I'd like to talk about healthcare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, I did so much. I did Rotary. I, I was just out there doing whatever I could um, to get known and to network. And that's how I got uh, jobs and opportunities. Um, years ago, it must have been in the early 90s. We remember Nurse Week had like these regional like fairs and I was a presenter there. And I remember one of the topics that I presented was um, nursing opportunities outside the hospital walls, you know, like being a consultant, um, working in, you know, home care, all the things that are outside and become more entrepreneurial. And I have a chapter in my book, uh, my finance book on entrepreneurship and, you know, marketing yourself and marketing different programs and products and and I think nurses are are the perfect folks to do that. They just don't have the skills right, or the right. bandwidth. And you know, it, it, nursing is the best profession because there's so much opportunity. I believe that everyone needs to get at least two years of clinical experience before they go out on their own as a consultant or do something different, because the credibility is so important. I was five years at the bedside at UCLA and Cedar Sinai. And the critical care, float pool, and I can tell stories like like anybody, right? You have to have stories. You have to have experiences for credibility. Right. And then you can get these other degrees and go out into the other industry. But you have to have that credibility as a nurse to get there. And I think that's one thing that I did early on was I, I was in the trenches. You know, I think that's critical. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, that's actually one of the things I always, uh, I, I, when I talk to my students, uh, I say one of the, one of the skill sets that they should gain is they need to learn how to market themselves, uh, like build your brand, just like your think like your Nike or your, uh, you know, um, any Adidas or whatever else you want to think of. I said think about branding yourself, and that's how you need to move forward because I think that's one of the biggest things. Nurses are just not good about talking about themselves and i think that's a comfort thing so i tell them when you build your resume when you build your portfolio uh when you get a business card think about what is your brand and stick to that exactly. theme and brand and sell yourself right not physically for sell yourself, but, <laughs> but virtually uh you know uh build your brand and market yourself because that, that's how you're going to be able to so that's that's great advice i'm glad yeah, I'm and, and the cv <laughs> the cv or resume is um one thing i wanted to add you brought that up I have a CV that is like, I don't know, over 20 pages long. And I have a resume, which is shorter. So my CV, everything I've done, I've documented. And that's what advice I would give to people. If you do a presentation, even if it's at a staff meeting, you know, in one hour little module, 
or or something else, um, write it down. And I have every presentation I've done, every publication I've ever done. Of course, I'm in academia and that's required and part of the whole deal for the fellow in the American Academy and all that. But I didn't have to start from scratch because I had been writing it down for, you know, 30 years. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I have a I have a little notebook that I carry. So every time I do something, I jot the date, the time. Right. Yep. If there's any kind of documentation, the documentation, I have like a like a big old four inch binder that it goes into. Yeah, right. And then I scan it and it's in my computer. So yeah, that's definitely like so many of my so many of my students, because I talk to them about portfolio how to build their portfolio. They're like, I didn't keep everything. I'm like, start now. If you yeah. didn't keep it, at least document what you've done, but keep everything. Yeah. Uh, you never know uh when you're gonna need to, you know, pull on that experience or that uh uh, you know, uh, events that you participated in or you're presented with. So uh, I'm glad I'm giving people good information. <laughs> you're right on. <laughs> you're, you're verifying uh, everything that I'm doing. I'm like, I'm feeling good about myself now. Uh, so thank you. Um, now, now you're you're uh, involved uh, with also uh, with writing, and I want to touch base on your writing. And uh, you're now the editor uh, for NAQ. Um, um, How's the how's that experience uh, for you? Uh, and for those of us who are, I don't, I'm not, I'm, I struggle with writing, mm-hmm. uh, and not because I think it's just, uh, I'm, I'm, my brain is going a million uh, miles an hour sometimes, and it becomes difficult. But I really have to sit myself down to write. Um, what is your advice for some of those uh, up and coming writers uh, that are looking to publish their work? out there? No, that's another really good question. I have often thought about doing some writing workshops as well. You know, with my new role, I was just starting, I'm I'm in there almost a year now. So it was a steep learning curve for me to be an editor in chief, you know, just the software and, you know, all of that. Um, I would say, I I think I wrote my first article when I was a nurse manager for, um, you know, it was just a one pager and I got it published. I was so excited. Um, now I'm much more scholarly, <laughs> but, um, and I have that, uh, that article that I wrote, but um, I would say get a buddy. Um, I believe in writing teams. I think mm. that these are really good. Um, some people are really good at the introduction and background, like, and some are good at the lit review and some are good at the wrap up. So when I'm on a writing team, um, we do an outline, we agree on the outline and then we assign sections. And we send it back to everyone and they edit it. So we're all participating in everybody's section um, equally. And then the first author is the one that's just leading it. And, you know, my goal uh, uh, in the next few years is to become the second or third author in on these teams because I don't have to be the first author anymore, you know. Um, And I've got a journal to run and uh, and that's keeping me pretty busy. And, and the third edition of my book, my finance book that I've got to do this coming year. But I would advise people to just um, start, you know, take a class. There's a lot of online classes. Understand what APA means. That's that's very um, common for nursing is APA format. Right. And um, but not all journals use that. Uh, some use um, there are sev- several others. So look at your journal guidelines to see what they require. Um, but get with somebody and say, hey, I have this great idea. Would you like to write with me? And then get a mentor to look at that manuscript, that final draft, have them give you feedback and, ha- you know, just 
welcome feedback. That's, that's the other thing is, and if you get rejected, you get rejected. I have been rejected on many, many manuscripts. I've been accepted on many, many. I've also run for board positions in Lost and then I've won. So you just have to suck it up and move on. I mean, that's the thing. It's not, don't take it personally. Learn from that experience and move on. Yeah, I think that that's that's uh, that's a really great advice is the fact that be okay with not getting accepted with writing or losing a position or failure in general, I think is a good way to put it. Uh, I, I was, you know, uh, I don't want to say I always welcome failure. I don't always welcome failure, but I should, but I should. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, well, you can so, reframe it. It's not failing. It's they didn't. They weren't looking for that type of a manuscript. Right. And actually, ran, another journal. <laughs> yeah, I actually ran into that right, right after my dissertation. I, I wrote about um, I wrote about the veterans with less than honorable discharges. And my audience that I that was trying to get it published with uh, just uh, the, the those journals were just not having it. They were like and there's some one of one of the editors actually wrote me back and said, um, uh I, there's no. They said that you know it's good, but my audience is not gonna is not going to um, review it favorably, and that was their thing for not. So it was so uh, you know I went different routes and still spread the message, but uh, but that that's definitely uh, something uh, to be okay with. Right. Um, find other avenues uh, other than publications, but um, but yeah, but your material is not always going to be accepted. Um, I do have one uh, one um, final question. Well, two final questions uh, for you. Um, uh, from a perspective of uh, of, um, uh, of a nurse leader, uh, where do you see uh, where do you see nursing going um, um, overall? Because there's been some transitions in nursing, and I see some stuff like, for example, of um, of a lot of edu- uh, you know not a lot of educators, some educators looking to change and shift how we do nursing education and we see some shifts within the role development of nursing of kind of not just defining mostly how we're getting defined as bedside um there's a lot of nurses out there that are being uh, more uh, vocal about nursing Uh, how do you see the the future of nursing moving forward um as more of a um sort of not taking a backseat to other professions within healthcare. Um, yeah, I think this is nursing's time to lead. I think that we deserve it. I think we're well-equipped, we're skilled, and we need to um, be at the table with yeah. decisions that are being made. I think we can partner with our physician colleagues, our um, ancillary colleagues, um, to, you know, along the continuum as we move forward and learn from from the pandemic. But nursing needs to be at the table. And I was disturbed when Fauci didn't, or not Fauci, um, Biden didn't have a nurse on his COVID task force. He does now. He does now. I was on Twitter, you know, at Biden, at Kamala. Right. Um, And so now he does. But that, you know, it's like we have the skills and Gavin we, we, nursing needs to be at the top at and lead the effort. Um, so I think it's nursing's time. I think the profession is rich. We're the most trusted profession. We have a lot of wonderful nurse leaders out there that can articulate what healthcare needs and the future of healthcare from not only 
clinical perspective, but a financial perspective. We have nurses that can do that work. Um, we have a different model than medicine, and we need to figure out how to work together better. And instead of dissing each other, we need to figure out how to work together. And I think I've seen a lot more of that in the interprofessional way over the last couple of years um, than ever before. So yeah. I think it's a great time for nursing to step up. Yeah. And I think perhaps, you know, um, from, you know, from this point forward, I think there, there's an opportunity. The whole, I'm hoping there's an opportunity for uh, the different schools as they're putting people through uh, to work more intercollaboratively mm-hmm. um, than we have in the past. I mean, if um, social media is any indication, um, like I see, and, you know, like, you know, the, um, I think it was the emergency, the American emergency medicine or something like that, um, that, uh, you know, stop, put some information out about how to stop the, uh, the, what they call it, uh, stop the creep or something like that of, you know, like they're talking about nurse practitioners yeah. uh, in those roles. Um, so uh, being in, in advanced practice roles or being in independent uh, or full practice roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's some movements by certain organizations to actually uh, stop the forward movement. Um, and I don't know if they'll be successful or not, or maybe slow, slow things down a bit. Uh, but I think there's, there's definitely opportunity for, um, for the groups to work together and not worry so much about, I need to be at the head of the table and nobody else, uh, which kind of, uh, seems something but but then there's a lot of support also building within the physicians and nursing and in that intercollaborative um uh, environments i think that's great too Um, and i think simulation is uh, is really pushed us to that you know um interprofessional simulation is very big and i think it needs to start in school with our learners um Mm. and then transfer into the hospital setting I know when I graduated, I had never called a doctor in the middle of the night. I had never really known what the respiratory therapist role was. And I think we need to, to train them together rather than in silos. Yeah, so I, I, agree. Think, I think that's something that's missing in the U.S. In other countries, they do it differently. Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. Uh, well, thank you so much. Uh, I'm going to give you one more question, uh, or not even a question, a, 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 a few minutes to, if you want anything else you want to talk about. Uh, um, I know you have a new uh, new edition of a book coming out. Um, mm-hmm. or anything else you want to talk about? This is your time. Sure. Um, so back in the in the 90s, I realized that you know nurses doesn't do, didn't have a lot of experience in finance and budgeting. So I wrote that first book in the early 2000s. It's in the third edition. And then I wrote a book, um, Finance and Business Skills for the DMP student, the textbook, and it's going into third edition. And it's funny because what I'm saying right now, I was saying in the 90s, it's like nothing has changed. (laughs) (laughs) And that saddens me. I think that most, that more programs are picking up, you know, finance courses for nurses, but I think that's a missing skill that nurses need. And it's really not reading a, a financial statement as much as it is building a business case and articulating what your need is. Like you say, marketing yourself. Like I need um, a a nurse educator, a CNS on my unit. And this is why here's the business case. So I hope that, um, that more finance and budgeting skills and business skills will be integrated throughout nursing curriculum in the future. Um, And I would just say that I have never looked back. Once I got my nursing degree, I've never looked back. I know some people, as they move up in administration, have removed the RN from their business card. I never did that. I've always been proud to be a nurse. And I've always always 
appreciated the profession and what it's afforded me and all the opportunities that I've gained. And so right now I'm really focused on mentoring others um, um, and succession planning because I'm not going to be doing this forever. Um, yeah, but it's been a great ride. I still have like, I'm, I'm seven, seven years or so. I'll think about going part-time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate uh, you coming here, sharing your thoughts with us. Uh, and uh, I'm uh, grateful for having known you and having you as a contact. <laughs> and same with me. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. Uh, so um, that is going to conclude uh, our this episode of the RN Mentor Podcast. Uh, thank you for joining me. This is going to be the last episode of 2020. Uh, and we will see you in 2021. A better 2021 than 2020. Yes. Cheers uh, to that. Cheers to that. Have a great one. Thank you. You've been listening to the RN Mentor with your host, Ali Taya. Please don't forget to visit www.aliartayeb.com. That's www.aliartayeb.com for podcast notes and resources. And don't forget to subscribe. Until next time, I wish you fair winds and following seas.